I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening. This is Outbeat News in Depth, and I'm Greg Morelia. Well, tonight we have three stories for you, beginning with a look at the new Rainbow Village in Marin County. John Edwards is here to tell us about how the LGBT seniors in Marin are finding support and service from their local community. And in the second half of our hour, we'll hear from a friend of mine in L.A. who's a strong advocate for the use of the drug Truvada as PrEP. Now, he's been using PrEP as a pre-exposure prophylaxis almost from the beginning when the drug was first authorized for such use. And in our third segment, documentarian Eric Krushevsky will be here to talk about a Catholic church in Boston with a program that is fully welcoming and inclusive of LGBT people. I've watched the documentary he made on this parish and think it's a great example of what's possible for gay and lesbian Catholics in every parish. All of this is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, March 27th, 2016. I have found Outbeat Radio News. Your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. This week, governors in Kansas and North Carolina signed into law new anti-LGBT legislation, enacting two of almost 200 anti-LGBT bills pending in state legislatures around the country. First in Kansas, Governor Sam Brobach signed an anti-gay religious liberty bill, which protects campus religious groups from having to allow LGBT students and faculty to participate as members. Brownback called those groups building blocks of society and didn't waste any time placing his signature on SB 175, which passed less than one week ago. The bill makes it legal for religious groups in post-secondary schools, even those colleges and universities that receive taxpayer funds, to discriminate against LGBT students. Brownback told the Wichita Eagle, quote, religious liberty is a part of the essence of who we are as a nation and state. He added, at our founding, people coming to the United States came here seeking religious liberty. I'm pleased to sign SB 175, the Campus Religious Freedom Bill, ensuring that college students can enjoy this bedrock American principle. The Washington Blade noted Brownbeck's decision to sign SB 175 makes him the first governor this year to sign into law legislation that discriminates against LGBT people. And then in North Carolina, the state's legislature passed a bill that revokes and bans LGBT non-discrimination ordinances in the state. House Bill 2 was introduced earlier this week during a special legislative session called by North Carolina's House following the passage of a local LGBT non-discrimination ordinance in Charlotte. Governor Pat McCrory signed it into law Wednesday night. Beyond blocking Charlotte's ordinance, which is set to take effect April 1st, House Bill 2 asserts that the state law overrides all local ordinances addressing employment, wages, or public accommodations. House Bill 2 also restricts access to single-sex public restrooms and locker rooms in publicly-run facilities to people of the same corresponding sex assigned at birth. Transgender students would also be banned from accessing bathrooms and locker rooms that align with their gender identity. Discriminatory bills targeting LGBT people, like House Bill 2, have been introduced around the country, with 23 of the 44 anti-transgender bills filed this year aimed at transgender youth. And here locally, tickets for Russian River Women's Weekend are now available for the three days, which will be filled with fun activities, parties, shows, and much more. This is the 35th year that you will find hundreds of women frolicking at the Russian River. The R3 Resort and Hotel will act as the headquarters and host of most of the parties. It all kicks off on Friday, May 20th with a pool party at which DJ Olga T. spins. Later, Queer Outlaw Burlesque will be hosted by Lee Crow and Robbie Vixen. Lesbitarian karaoke will continue into the night. On Saturday afternoon, there'll be another pool party with music by DJ Becky Knox, followed by King for a Day Workshop, hosted by D-Love of Fella Femme. Dance a night away with DJ Tenab Dancer at the Dayglow Disco Dance Party. And of course, it wouldn't be a Sunday at the R3 without a pool party and music with DJ Lady Shar. Then you can head down the highway to Northwood Golf Course for the four-play golf tournament. And then finally on Monday, the R3 will host the Liquid Church Crew After Party. You can learn more at womensweekendrussianriver.com. And for more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to gaysonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at outbeatnews.com. 
Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Well, this year, all of us on the Outbeat Radio team are looking at issues facing LGBT seniors. And one of our big projects is to gather personal stories from LGBT seniors living here in Sonoma County and then to share them with all of you throughout the year on Outbeat Extra. But one of the programs that really caught my eye is a new one in Marin County called the Rainbow Village. It's a very interesting concept. And here to tell us all about that is John Edwards. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and, and this is some really exciting stuff. Before we get to the Rainbow Village, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, as far as my background, I've always believed in community service and volunteerism, and I've had quite a few different volunteer jobs over the years, volunteer um, tasks that I've taken on, and the latest one came about uh, Rainbow Village, which is a part of a greater organization, Marin Villages, came about in sort of a convoluted way. I had a very good friend and neighbor um, when she moved into my condo complex. Um, I did not know she was a lesbian. She quickly found out I was a gay man, and we just started hanging out together. She developed a lot of very, very serious health problems, and I wound up being her primary caregiver for the last year and a half of her life, and uh, it was something I was willing to do. Um, It didn't start out being her caregiver, but it just sort of morphed into it. And she eventually did pass away, and it was a very eye-opening experience for me. She had no family, no Mm -hmm. contacts, no friends. I was her sole social outlet. And um, it was very much an eye-opener to me about seniors living isolated. And it was also a a bit frightening to me because I realized if I ever got into the financial and health straits that she was in, who would be there for me? Right. And um, I attended a discussion group and happened to hear Marin Villages as a project. And I thought, you know what, that really rings a bell with me. It really resonated with me based on the recent experience. And uh, I just dove right in from there. Mm. That's great. Well, and I, you know, I know you've seen the movie Jen Silent as of yes. high, but as of I, but for those who haven't seen it, talk about some of the issues uh, that are facing LGBT seniors, particularly those who have lived most of their life in the closet and are now either going they're on their own or they're moving into maybe an assisted care facility and if they were out or having to go back into the closet. Well, first of all, let me um, thank you very much for mentioning Jen Silent. Um, the producer and director, Stu Maddox, is a friend and actually neighbor of mine. And um, it's a great movie. If you hadn't seen it, um, you should definitely see it. Stu Maddox is the producer and director of the movie. was very, very kind to us when he heard about the Rainbow Village uh, concept and agreed to uh, put his two-minute trailer on our homepage. And when anybody asks me, why is an LGBT rainbow-type village needed, I just ask them to watch the two-minute trailer. And they come away from seeing that two-minute trailer and just saying, oh, now I get it. But as far as seniors in Marin County and seniors overall, LGBT seniors as a group are just absolutely fascinating people to talk to. We are talking about people who, some of them actually experienced Stonewall, who came of age during Stonewall. And I I mean, I know people, and there's probably people in your listening audience, I'm sure, who were arrested in the 70s and the 80s for just being in a gay bar. And I know people who that applies to. And it's absolutely fascinating hearing their stories. And you're talking about a large contingent of people who are now in their 70s, in their 80s, and their 90s, but their formative years told them to very much be in the closet. And so now in their 70s or 80s or 90s, they may be alone, they may have lost a partner, they may have lost all their family. And we find them going back into the closet because that's the experience they know. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to come to grips with how society has moved on, has become much more accepting. Same-sex marriage is the law of the land. And people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, that's a brand new world to them based on their formative experience. Right. Almost a foreign concept. It really very much so. Right. So it's senior LGBT seniors as a whole are a fascinating, fascinating group of people to talk to and hear their stories. No doubt. And there's a lot of history there for sure. There you is. mentioned Stu Maddox. Uh, I saw his film at the Sebastopol uh, Real, in, Real film in the Closet Festival. or Jen Silent. Right. Yeah. No, Real in the Closet. And uh, fascinating. So much history there to be unlocked. Jen Silent is, uh, I believe, the older one of the two. Real right. in the Closet. Uh, for those of your listeners that may not know, he gathered uh, home movies of uh, LGBT 
supposedly LGBT people, but LGBT themes in the home movies, gathered the home movies and assembled them into one giant documentary. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating yeah, it's seeing fantastic. home movies from the 60s and 70s right. with a, a LGBT overtones. It wasn't overt back then, but you can see pool parties and things like that in the movies, and uh, it's, it's actually fascinating. I'm not sure what his next project is, but I'm sure he has one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were talking uh, before we went on the air about how well-connected the LGBT community is, at least it feels that way here in Sonoma County. Give us a sense of what the LGBT community is uh, on a broad scale in Marin. You know, it's, um, to be perfectly blunt, um, the LGBT community in Marin has been a little bit disappointing to me. It's, it's, it's almost like there's no there there, um, at least as far as social aspects and things like that. It's so close to the city that if you want to go out nightclubbing, if you want to go out to dinner or whatever, it's so easy to jump and, you know, jump in your car, go across the Golden Gate Bridge and get into the city. And um, I'm hoping Rainbow Village and Marin Villages will help instill a greater sense of community in Marin County, especially among LGBT seniors. But what I've really noticed, and I, I really want to commend you and your listeners and your community, um, through various people that I know, I've been introduced to the LGBT community in Sonoma County in the last few months, you know, possibly a year or so. And I will tell you, with, without fail, it is the most welcoming, open, friendly group of people I think I've ever come across in my life. Mm-hmm. And Sonoma itself, Sonoma County, has done a great job building an LGBT community. I mean, it's, it's already there. I, I wish I could say my own community was there, but we're, we're doing our part. We're trying to catch yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I totally agree with you. And as I was mentioning before, too, I you know moved up here from Napa, which is just over the hill, but it but seems like worlds away. Uh, the community there is still very hidden. Uh, when I was living there, very disconnected. There wasn't really any visible gathering place, and there certainly wasn't any support organizations and nothing uh, like you're talking about with Rainbow Village. So I agree with you. I think Sonoma County is, is a pretty amazing place, and we're very, very lucky. Albeit everybody agrees we have a lot more work to do. So talk about the mechanics of Rainbow Village. I mean, how does what's the concept and how does it work? Um, Marin Villages is the hub of the system, um, and I'll, we can touch on that a little bit later I, I, as far as the nationwide movement of villages. But um, Marin County is a little bit different from the village movement nationwide in that they operate on a hub-and-spoke system, with Marin Villages being the parent organization and then the individual villages that are geographic in nature being the spokes of the system. So there's a San Rafael Village, a Tiburon Village, a Nevada Village, and so on. And Rainbow Village is the newest village in that hub-and-spoke system. And Rainbow Village is also the first LGBT-identified village in the entire country. So... Our community, rather than being a geographic community like the Novato Village or the San Rafael Village or the Tiburon Village, is actually an LGBT-identified community. So we're not talking about a physical building or a complex like, say, people might be familiar with Fountain Grove Lodge. When you say village, what does that look like? Correct. A village, um, there is no physical housing involved. The basic concept, the basic mission of the village movement is to keep seniors in their existing housing with a little bit of assistance to age with dignity and peace of mind. So it's keeping seniors in their existing housing. And that's a very frequent question that we get is, where is the Rainbow Village? Where's the housing? There is no physical housing involved. Seniors across the board as they age want to stay in their own housing as long as they possibly can, not go into assisted housing, not go into a skilled nursing facility. They want to stay in their own homes. And the village movement, which, again, is a nationwide movement, helps bring that about. And, yeah, and I think that's true whether you're straight or whether you're gay. Exactly. Uh, but, but for LGBT seniors in particular, if they've been out for a period of time, as you were mentioning earlier, maybe they had a partner, and now they find themselves alone, there's tremendous fear in going to a, an assisted living facility or a retirement Will facility. Will I be rejected? Will I be accepted? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so... Being able to live independently, I think, is even more uh, important for LGBT folks, I would imagine. So what's the response been so far? Um, the response in Marin County has been very good at the outset, a little bit muted right now um, as we're starting. But we, we planned on having it, d- doing it very, very slowly. We wanted to do it right rather than fast, at least as far as building the Rainbow Village. And um, we've got a few members now. We've got a set number of volunteers, and we're looking to grow it. Um, The good thing with the hub-and-spoke system and the arrangement that we have with Marin Villages, there's no real financial pressure on us at all. 
to uh, bring members in or to build a village fast or to have money coming in or donations coming in. Donations are always gratefully accepted, uh, of course, but there's no real financial pressure on us um, to build this village. So we can do it as slow as we want or as quickly as we want. Mm-hmm. So the members will kind of dictate dictate that. Um, and that's a beautiful position to be in. And uh, we owe that to being a part of Marin Village as a whole, who welcomed us with open arms. And I also wanted to say, too, there are existing Marin Villages. There's over 200 villages nationwide, and in Marin there's seven villages. All of the pre-existing Marin Villages welcome with open arms LGBT members. So we're not trying to steal their LGBT members away or isolate people in their own LGBT village. Every single one of the existing Marin villages welcomes and has LGBT members already. Um, It's a matter of if it's more of a comfort to the LGBT senior to receive volunteer services from an identified LGBT volunteer, then great. The Rainbow Village is the right place for you. Sounds like you're really being able to maximize the volunteers and the services that are available. Very much so. And interestingly, every single member that we've had sign up with Rainbow Village has also said, well, I want to be a member of Rainbow Village, but I also want to be a member of the geographic village where I live. Can I be a dual member? And of course they can. That maximizes their social outlets and they're they're, they're connecting with their community. Mm -hmm. So they're connecting with the Rainbow Village, which encompasses all of Marin County, but they're also connecting with their geographic village in San Rafael or Nevada or Tiburon or wherever their geographic village mm-hmm. happens to be. So there's really two components to this. There's the LGBT senior who is the service receiver. Correct. And then there are the volunteers who provide some service. Talk about some of the services that have already come forward and been identified that are available to seniors. And I, I'll, I'll add one thing to that. There, are, there is the volunteer component and there is the member component, but one can also be both. Because yeah, what sure. I like to what I like to point out is seniors for the most part are not necessarily infirm. Everybody is capable of giving something back to their community. Somebody may not be able to get out and lead a hiking group, but they can have and you know and welcome people into their home for a coffee or a social get together or a board game night or something like that. So just because you're a member receiving volunteer services in your home as a senior does not mean that you can also be a volunteer. And you can. Everybody has something that they everybody has something that that they can give back. Um, as far as the um, – repeat the question again. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, talk about some of the services that have already right. been identified that, that are available to seniors. Thank you. The biggest request that we get from members is for transportation, um, to and from a doctor's appointment, to and from a hospital appointment, to and from the grocery store, um, to and from just about anything. That's the biggest request we get. But we really don't want to promote it or turn it into a ride-sharing service. There's already existing ride-sharing services. Somebody needs mm-hmm. a ride-share, there's services they can go to. We want to make sure that it's, it's more than just that. Um, the member can request pretty much anything that a volunteer is willing to provide. We have people that will just go out and uh, change smoke detector batteries in somebody's mm-hmm. home, change light bulbs, because a lot of times a senior can't reach or it's unsafe for them to be up on a ladder, light housework. Um, the second biggest request, I'm told, for the Marin Villages as a whole is help setting up a computer or an iPhone or an iPad. Now, who wouldn't love somebody to do that for sure. them? So that's the second biggest request. And I believe the third biggest request is for household chores, organizing things or helping organize a desk or organize a kitchen or help put away things that you know are, are hard to reach, something like that. Mm-hmm. So the member request is not really limited by anything other than what volunteers are willing to provide. We had one... Uh, a senior who was rather homebound who plays the mandolin and all she wanted was a volunteer to show up and play some musical instrument along with her for a couple of hours. Mm. That's all she wanted. And that, that brings a tear to my eye just thinking mm-hmm. about that. I mean, and there, there's a volunteer willing to do that. So, that's great. So let's run a scenario down. I'm a senior and so I can go on to, I can either call your office or I can go onto a website. Right. And then I can say, I need someone to help set up my iPhone. I love that example. Mm -hmm. And then you pair that person up with a service provider that you already have in your database. A volunteer, right? Not a service provider. And I'm differentiating between that because we also do keep a list of service providers for things like roofing jobs or concrete work or something like that that are vetted service providers. That we've checked out, that members have referred us to. So there they is that service. Involved for those right, kinds of a volunteer of ours wouldn't re-roof somebody's home or repair a sprinkler system or something like that. But we do have a list of vetted volunteers that would do that. But yes, um, the member calls in. 
with a request. And that's right now, that's all handled over the phone. Um, and so a, a member who's already signed up with Marin Villages calls in with a request and says what they need. And, you know, in the case of transportation, there'll be a time element. They'll say, you know, Friday sometime between 10 and 11, I need mm-hmm. a ride to the doctor's appointment. And uh, the office manager then puts out that request to the volunteers that are identified with that specific village and says, you know, so-and-so needs a ride to the doctor's appointment Friday at 10 o'clock. Who can do it? And 90%, I'm told, 90% of the requests get fulfilled on the first request. And uh, if a volunteer doesn't step forward, then it goes out as a second urgent request. And if it doesn't get fulfilled from there, then it expands out to other villages, and they ask other village members to step forward. Great. So what kinds of services are you in most need of now? Right now, just strictly volunteers, at least for Rainbow Village. We need, we need volunteers. We have a few, um, but we always need more. Um, and Marin Villages as a whole, I couldn't speak to what Marin Villages as a whole needs, um, because I'm on the steering committee for Rainbow Village itself, but our, our, our biggest need is volunteers. And I would, I would like to think that's probably Marin Village's biggest need as well, too. Any specific talents or things that you're hoping to find? N- no, it, it really runs the gamut. You really see how the volunteers come to you and what their interests are. And when somebody does apply to be a volunteer, there is a checklist of what you'd be, what, what your interests are, what you'd be willing to do, what you have particular mm-hmm. skills at. So that all is tracked. Um, but it's, it, it's it's interesting that you ask that because it, let me let me ask you a question. If you had a friend or a neighbor or a family member who needed a ride to the uh, to the emergency room or needed a ride to the hospital or needed a ride to a doctor's appointment, I, I would like to think you would step forward and you'd probably give that person oh, a sure. ride, wouldn't you? Okay. Sure. So this is that same concept, but it's and that is your community that you're helping out. Your your friends, your neighbors, your neighborhood, or whatever. This is expanding the concept of community a little bit and formalizing it a little bit with more of a computer infrastructure and a phone infrastructure that supports it. So my point being. The concept is really simple. It's something we we are all already doing, helping our neighbors, but it's expanding the definition of neighborhood and community mm-hmm. to include other people that you may or may not know yet. So how are volunteers vetted? Volunteers fill out an application. There is a background check as well, too. And um, once somebody passes that background check, then they are put into the volunteer database and started matching with volunteers for the village they've decided to affiliate with. That's pretty awesome. And so can people pick, you mentioned that, that there's the LGBT village, but they can also select if they want to work in a, in a broader geographical area or if they have a preference for working with uh, straight seniors and LGBT seniors. I mean, the volunteer gets to identify all of that? We would love if you did. That, that, that okay. would be great. If some volunteer wants to expand beyond their immediate geographic village, we can handle that. That's <laughs> awesome. That's... So talk about where people can go to learn more. Uh, the website is www.marinvillages.org, and either Marin Village or marinvillages.org works, or the phone number for the office is 415-457-4633. And um, we didn't touch on this, but this is definitely a Marin project. Um, it is Marin Villages, and um, there is a move afoot to start. Uh, there there are a couple of villages already existing in Sonoma. I believe there's a Petaluma village. I believe there might be another one as well, too. And I hear there's a move afoot to start an LGBT village um, in Sonoma as well, too. So, you know, I really appreciate you reaching, reaching out to us and asking how Marin is doing things. What I'd really like to see is Sonoma yeah. to take that ball and run with it and start a little bit more, inc- a little bit more um, all-encompassing village arrangement in Sonoma, sure. possibly the same hub-and-spoke system and also possibly an LGBT village. Yeah. And I do hear there's a move afoot for that. So fantastic! I hope to see that one day. Great. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic model, and we'll hope that uh, well, someone thank you. picks up the ball here in Sonoma County. And runs, I wish I could take it. credit for it, but it's a nationwide movement. There's over 200 villages nationwide, and we're just, we're just a part of that greater whole sure. in our little part of the world. Great. Well, if you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. We've been talking with John Edwards from the Marin Rainbow Village. John, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you for having me. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth on KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa. I'm Greg Moralia. Over the last year, we've covered several stories about PrEP and the drug Truvada as a way to prevent the spread of the HIV virus. And we've talked to men around the country, some who are staunch advocates and others who have some doubts. A friend of mine from Los Angeles recently posted a very strong statement in support of the use of Truvada on social media, and he's here with us now to share more about why he thinks everyone should be on Truvada. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. So before we get talking about PrEP, 
Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're living now, and what you do. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up in Los Angeles, born and raised on the west side, Santa Monica, truly the uh, surfer-type boy growing up. Um, moved down to uh, the Long Beach area, where I spent the majority of my 20s. I'm now 32. I uh, spent about three years in West Hollywood, which is one of the main reasons why I started uh, prep on Travada. And um, I've been a... Uh, licensed commercial pilot for 14 years, and I fly various charters, do sync flight tours, and some instructions as well. So here in the Los Angeles area is where I've been uh, living life for 32 years. So you're an out, active gay man, and you've been out since, well, since you were a teenager, but but out to everyone uh, since about the age of 18, and, and have been active in the community ever since, right? That is true. Uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, LGBT community events. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, uh, part of the National Gay Pilots Association, where I do a lot of uh, charity and uh, public relations work for them. Um, basically, getting the aviation, the gay aviation community around the country together. Fantastic. Well, we've done a number of stories here and talked with men about Truvada and the concept of using PrEP as a way to prevent the spread of HIV. You've been very outspoken about that, uh, both in social media and personally. So let's go back to the beginning. Tell us about how you first learned about Truvada and what motivated you to pursue a prep. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I know if you don't mind, Greg, I'm going to be very direct and, and straightforward and, and tell it like it is. So um, I, I learned about prep when I first moved to West Hollywood. And I got on PrEP because I fell in love with the guy of my dreams who happened to be HIV positive. And he was more of a top, and so I had to assume more of the bottom role, which wasn't an issue when you are in love. And I wanted to enjoy sex with him um, intimately. And it was really the only thing that I could do to protect myself, but at the same time, uh, respecting my wishes, my desires, the love for the relationship, and, and, and all that. I'm sure you've heard that before. Right. Um, that is how I started Travada and Prep, and he's the one that told me about it. Um, he, at the time, well, he still is, we're not together, but he, he was a very senior uh, staff sergeant in the Marine Corps, um, you know, very healthy, very good-looking, good, great insurance, you know, very well um, um, kept up on the medical field. So he's the one who educated me. However, I would say probably two or three years before that, I had heard of PEP, um, which PEP is a different than PrEP. Uh, PEP is basically a post-exposure. Um, if you believe that you are exposed to HIV, you could take this three-day medication. Supposedly, it kills the virus. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I never had to take it, but I did know that there was some sort of medication out there um, but I did not learn about Travada until about 2000 and late 2013, early 2014. So you were really involved with using Travada from the very beginning, long before the studies were done and long before we knew what some of the side effects and, and long-term risks were. Aside from the motivation of your personal relationship, which was very, very important, obviously, what gave you the confidence to take the risk? You know, again, I, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> some people think I'm crazy, but I'm not. I'm, I'm actually a very smart, educated person, as you know, and, and I'm sorry, but I don't think that you can live life every day in fear of, of dying. If that was the case, I'd be out of a job because uh, flying almost every day, you never know what can happen, but knock on wood, 14 years, I've been just fine, and, and hopefully I will continue to be fine. Same thing goes with HIV. HIV is no longer a dying, deadly disease like it was in the 80s, okay? I know many, many, many people that live with HIV who are probably better looking in terms of physique and, 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 and health than I am, um, and it's just one pill a day, maybe two pills a day. Now, I'm not advocating that I should go out there and get it or it's okay to have because obviously who would, not, who would want a, 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 a deadly disease? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that you know, it doesn't scare me as much as it used to now that we have these drugs. And now that, that I, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the Berlin patient, now that there's pretty much a cure out there, we just haven't really figured out how to implement the cure. Um, talking about uh, confidence, um, the doctor that I went to to get 
prep prescribed happens to be uh, like the number three HIV doctor in the country. Um, he's out of West Hollywood. His name is Dr. Tony Mills, and he's very well known. Um, he actually flew to Australia last year to do a uh, international conference. He was one of the key speakers on HIV and PrEP. He's my regular MD, regular medical doctor. I'm HIV negative. I don't have HIV, but he serves two purposes. One, for HIV patients, and the other two is a family regular medical doctor. So he pretty much gave me the confidence. And, you know, he, and no, and I have to say this officially, at no time did he say you could take this and go off and do whatever you want. He still encourages the use of condoms. Uh, he still encourages the, the, the practice of safe sex. But um, reading his articles and the studies that I've seen and speaking to him kind of gave me the confidence that PrEP is a great way for a positive and a negative, uh, excuse me, a positive and negative relationship to be successful. And that's basically what gave me the confidence to go into it. And I will say, I am a firm believer. Three years later, um, I have been sexually active with more than one person who's been positive, and I am okay, and I'm still negative. So you mentioned condoms in combination with Truvada as a strategy for preventing the spread of HIV. But let me ask you a really personal question. For you, is use of a condom a regular required practice? No, it's not. Um, I am proud to say that I have not used a condom in a long time. And the reason why I say I'm proud to say that is because I want to enjoy life the way life is while I'm young and still around. You never know when tomorrow is your last day. And you never know when your day is coming in terms of the future. There's some of the best advice I got from an older retired friend of mine. Now, I can't speak of his profession, but it was a very prestigious profession within the government. And he said, David, you're never going to be as young and beautiful like this forever. You might as well do everything that you want to do now. Because you get my age, which he is 69 now, he said, you will regret it. And I have a lot of regrets from my life that I did not do because I was scared or because I thought people would think differently of me. And now I'm too old to do them, and I'm going to die with those regrets. So not that that was an excuse to go into it, but it, it kind of motivated me to enjoy life and do what I want to do. Again, I'm very different than most people. Um, HIV, although I don't want it, it doesn't scare me like it scares a lot of people. And I think it scares a lot of people, Greg, because they're ignorant. They don't know about it. A lot of people don't even know that even if you're not on PrEP, it's very hard to get HIV with someone who's undetectable, who's on medication. It's very hard to transmit the virus that way. I have another ex-boyfriend who is HIV positive, and we were together successfully for a year out of that. So I would say three years I've been on PrEP, a year, and we didn't have any issues at all. You know, and there were a couple days I forgot to take my pills just because I forgot, not because... I wanted to, but I'm still negative to this day. So maybe I'm the lucky one. But I will say this. I do believe in PrEP. I believe it's the best invention for the gay community. And I think everybody should be on it. I really, I do. I read some studies that they said that if everybody were to be on PrEP, in terms of everybody in the gay community, by 2020, 70% of the HIV virus would die. Right. Um, you know, and, and it, to me, that's just, that's just wonderful, you know, wonderful to hear. There's one thing that I have learned that what HIV-negative people do, and again, I want to remind the, the listeners I am negative, that the more and more HIV-negative people stereotype and segregate positive people is the more and more guys who are just going to lie about the virus, the more and more guys who are just going to not be honest about it and not feel comfortable. I think if people educate themselves, do research, study the disease, find out exactly what it is, they're going to be a little bit more okay with it because all they know is what the 1980s and the early 90s brought up about the disease. It's going to kill you. It's a sad, miserable, dying death. And I think you know, as well as I do, that's not the case anymore. So that's why I feel so strongly about PrEP and, and the use of it. So what's your sense about the prevailing attitude about Truvada in the rest of the community in West Hollywood? Is there an attitude that now that we have Truvada, condoms are no longer needed? Have, have most men abandoned that practice of using a condom with Truvada? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. And, again, this is, my, this is David's opinion. There's no one, no one officially speaking here. 
But um, I'm going to say that Binan Torvada, Binan Prep has kind of relieved the um, the demand of condoms. I will say that. Um, however, I have met plenty of people that are on prep that say, "Hey, um, no, still a condom." Um, and usually because they're 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 concerned about other STDs. But again, let's talk let's talk about education. You can get other STDs by kissing, by oral, by, you know, anal type of play, things like that. So unless you plan to use saran wrap around someone's anus and you're going to put a condom when you give a blowjob, um, I, I don't think that you can be too concerned with that. Um, to be honest, there's no real way to 100% protect, 100% protect yourself unless you want to just not have sex at all. So, you know, it, 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 it's funny to me, but again, that's their decision. So to, to answer your question more definitely, I would say that, yes, uh, I think gay men in general have kind of said, hey, PrEP is protecting me. I don't really have to use a condom all the time. Okay, fair enough. So one of the other concerns about Truvada is the risk of kidney or liver damage caused as a side effect from the drug. What's your experience been and how are doctors making sure to manage those risks? People want to talk about 20 years effects of being on, on Travada and what's going to do to your kidneys, your liver, whatever, okay? I'm sorry. Again, I'm going to be the outball here, but um, to me, that's better than living with HIV and going through that disease. I'd rather have a medical issue like that, that alcohol does to your liver, than live with a disease that has no cure as of right now. To me, the odds and the benefits, it, 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 it doesn't play um, to me, it's just better. It's safer. So part of being on PrEP is you have to basically give a verbal agreement that you're going to come in and get tested every three months. And in the test, they do HIV blood work, a full STD run-up, and they also do a liver check and kidney check. And they make sure you're within a range. And if you're within the range, that means that you're tolerating the medicine correctly, uh, excuse me, appropriately, and then you can still be on it. People think that you can just go to the doctor and say, hi, I'm gay, I have gay sex, I want Travada. Okay, here you go, here's a prescription. No, 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 it does not work that way. It does not work that way. You actually have to qualify for it, meaning you have to go in and talk to the doctor and you have to be at high risk and you have to do a blood test to see if you can uh, be immune to the uh, uh, medication. And then if that's the case, then they start you on a trial run for 30 days where you cannot have sex, and they, you know, it's a process, Greg. It's it, it's like a big thing, you know. It's not mm -hmm. it's not like you're going to go get uh, medication for an STD and seven days later you're fine. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know that. They they don't know that that it's a, it's a it's an official process. They have to determine if your body can accept the medication. Okay, so obviously there's a vetting process and then an ongoing monitoring process. Let's shift gears a little bit. Earlier this month, we reported on Outbeat News about one case where a man who said he has been on Truvada for two years and been faithfully taking the medication tested positive for HIV. You've read that article. And as someone who's on Truvada, how did it impact your thinking about the effectiveness of the drug? I'm so glad you asked me about that, Greg, because I've lost a few Facebook friends uh, over that topic. Um, it did not scare me. It concerned me, but not scare me, and I'll tell you why. One case out of, what, 500,000 gay men worldwide that's on PrEP, one case in three years that's been approved by the FDA, I'm sorry, but that's good odds to me. That's a very, very, very good ratio from positive to, to negative to positive on PrEP, okay? Um, and, again, three years that I've been on it since the beginning, um, I can't tell you how many guys that I've probably been with that have not told me that they were positive, that lied to me like a lot of gay men do, and I'm still okay. From what I understand, and I have done research, not a lot, but a little research, it's a new, new strain of HIV that, that has never existed before. And that is a strain of HIV that Travada does not protect. But here's two things that I want to bring up to your viewers. One, how do we know this individual was on his medication every day that he's supposed to be? How do we know it, this, he didn't slip up for a couple of days or even a week or whatever the case is, and, you know, he's just the wrong time and the wrong man and, you know, the wrong sexual act? We don't know that. He can say he was on PrEP um, religiously every day, 
but I'll be honest with you, my three years, I have forgotten. I've forgotten. I, the most I've gone without my medication is three days because I went on a trip and forgot to pack it. So I was freaking out the whole three days because, you know, that's my protection. That's my lifeline. So you never know. You, you, you never know. And then the second thing I want to bring up is we don't know if this individual was into drug or narcotic use, which is very consistent in the gay world. I'm sure your viewers hard know what PNP party and play is. So if you put those two together, if this individual was partying and playing and was off his medication because he forgot it, you know, I could see it happening. But again, I'm not going to make allegations. I just want to bring that up because I think that people need to research and educate this topic themselves and not just jump to conclusions and say, oh, Trotta doesn't work, Trotta doesn't work. Again, Greg, I want to remind you and your viewers, one case out of, I believe it's 500,000 men, gay men around the world that have been on Trotta, I think those are good odds. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that Truvada is very, very effective when taken on a regular basis. And it's particularly effective when you combine it with other sorts of prevention strategies. But, you know, those are all very personal decisions that people have to make. I'm just hopeful that after 35 years that we will one day find a cure for HIV and wipe this virus out once and for all altogether. I hope so as well. It would be the best day ever. Yes, it would. David, thanks so much for your candor tonight and for sharing your perspective about Truvada. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Last month, I had a chance to watch a short documentary about St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Boston and how the parish priest and the parishioners are welcoming and inclusive of LGBT people. With us now is documentarian and producer Eric Krzyzewski. Eric, welcome to the show. Greg, thank you very much for having me today. Great to talk with you as well. And before we get started with the documentary about St. Matthew's and the LEAD program, tell us about yourself and some of the other films you've produced. I am a Baltimore native, uh, currently residing in Washington, D.C., and I'm a freelance photographer, videographer, um, mostly covering editorial outlets, uh, documentary work, uh, at the moment, short films, photo essays, and I guess I got my start with, uh, with the time being overseas, just being immersed in different cultures, different travels, just being exposed to sensory overload, basically. Mm. And uh, I started to photograph, uh, tell people stories, document my travels, and then since coming back to the U.S., dedicated the last four years now doing this on a professional level uh, as a photographer and videographer, documentary filmmaker, however you want to. I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I, I try and tell stories. And just based on life experiences, I'm curious with, uh, with folks who may be on the fringes of society, people who've undergone transitions in life, uh, particular groups that might not get mainstream media attention, I'd like to think that whether it's a photo or a video or audio slideshow, whatever the creative means is that I can help leverage and create to give a voice to somebody else. Um, I feel like that's my role. That's what I do. That's what I love to do. Um, so I just look for captivating stories. Sometimes I find them. Sometimes they find me. And... It's an honor just getting into people's lives and uh, yeah, being able to, to tell their stories. Great. Well, I was really drawn to the series about the Catholic Church because clearly they have not been the most welcoming of LGBT people, except for some of the sort of separate LGBT Catholic groups that are not sanctioned, perhaps officially, but not led by a priest. So I was really drawn to this documentary you did about St. Matthew's. How did you hear about them? There is a parishioner of St. Matthew's. Um, her name is Deborah. And Deborah and I have known each other for, I'd say, about two years now. Um, she has also done a lot of work with the steel industry in Baltimore. She's written a book about it. She grew up in the area. She teaches about it at the um, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And just through that work, she's seen me there at events. She's seen me in people's lives and doing my other uh, documentary. So uh, one day we just happened to be at a media event and we were just catching up and sharing what we're doing and what we've come across. And she said, you know what? I, 
I attend this particular church and they're doing something really interesting for its LGBT community. And there are some really powerful stories there. And I think they'd be open to having their stories told. This this is perfect for you. Um, so it was really just that conversation. And I think that happened in ooh, end of 20... I'd say the end of 2014. It was winter time. Um, and so she was basically the the person who just introduced me to Father Joe, who's the pastor at St. Matthew. And once I met Father Joe, he opened the doors and introduced me to, to other folks. So it was just, I think, being in that community, being present. Uh, I, I had not heard of St. Matthew, even though I went to high school in the area. I grew up maybe 20 minutes away. Um, I wasn't familiar with the church or the ministry or what they were doing. So, um, yeah, it was just the right person and the right conversation at the right time. And next thing you know, I was introduced and off and running. What surprised you most about this LGBT group being sort of front and center in a Catholic parish? I, I was surprised. I was really surprised. I I grew up um, being raised Catholic um, by my parents and um, I wouldn't say I'm very much practicing right now, but growing up in that environment, I wasn't really exposed to LGBT. And I'm 37 years old right now, so put me back 20 plus years, and it just wasn't wasn't something that I was exposed to. Um, and then suddenly, to be brought back into that particular faith environment, it was it was kind of new to me, actually. Um, and I hadn't done a lot of work in the sphere. I hadn't done a lot of research in it. It wasn't something that I'd come across. So, um, I mean, I had heard just general things, but um, it wasn't something that I that I had dug into. So, upon being introduced, um, Father Joe said, "Hey, look, we meet once a month, and our supporters, so they would say, our members and our allies and." That terminology translates to those LGBT individuals who represent lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, that community. And then also the allies, let's say it's a mother who has um, a gay son or a lesbian daughter. Or maybe it's just like Deborah. She's straight. She doesn't have gay children. It's just she supports what they're doing. Um, So they have allies in the community, um, allies in the parish. So when I was introduced, I, he brought me in and said, hey, why don't you come by one of the lead meetings, introduce yourself, show some of the work. Uh, let's get an open discussion as to whether people want you in their lives and their stories told. So that first meeting, uh, I was probably there for an hour and a half, and it was very much a roundtable discussion. But I was welcome with open arms Anybody who was new to the group, because people pop in and out, from what I understand, from month to month, um, somebody will tell a friend, hey, come on in. Um, Hey, we've got this ministry. Hey, do you need a shoulder to cry on? Hey, do you need support? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need a friend? It was just so overwhelmingly open and welcoming. There was one lesbian couple that I was introduced to, and I ended up doing a video about them, Rachel and Vanya. Uh, when I met them, they had been together for some time. Um, they were planning on getting married, having a civil ceremony in Baltimore. And they were also planning on moving in together, but they were, I mean, they're young, they're struggling, they're going to school, they're trying to make ends meet, and they're going to go and populate a new apartment. And one of the allies says, I'm going to give you whatever furniture. I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to donate furniture to you. And they literally would take, and I went and I saw this, they just got a truck and they moved furniture out of this person's home and transferred it to Rachel and Vanya's just to help. And I thought, when when does that happen? I had never heard of anything else like this happening. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of environment where let's do what we can for each other, whether it's just a platform to cry or uh an area where you want to just tell your story and be heard. Um, but it was nothing but hugs and heartfelt warmth. Um, 
I felt I felt very welcome being there, even as an outsider. I'm a straight person, um, and I'm basically walking into this saying, "Hey, I want to get into your lives and film it, and you know, open that up to me so I can tell your stories." Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was interesting. And so there are a couple of things that strike me about this particular group being really unusual. One is that it's actually meeting in the church building, right? It's meeting in a church facility. Sure. So St. Matthew's, there are two buildings, and they're just connected by, I'd call it a breezeway or an archway. Um, But they are literally not even 30 feet apart. And it's so it's the rectory. Well, and then the other thing that I think is very unusual is that the parish priest is seems to be very visible and involved, connected and supporting this group. Yes, absolutely. Father Joe, he's been there for years. He's a Baltimore native. Uh, so he's been in that community all of his life. So it's not like he's just some guy that waltzed in there a couple of years ago and said, Hey, I'm going to, um, I'm going to just bring about transition. Um, he's been doing, these kinds of things for decades. Um, I went through archival footage with him. He has newspapers, clippings from all the way back 20, 30, 40 years um, that his mom had collected. And um, so a lot of it showed the words activist. A lot of it showed um, the priest that brings about change, the the sympathetic priest. Uh, So I guess a lot of those words go hand in hand with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is. He's very much involved. He's not, he isn't hiding in the shadows. He helps lead the meetings. I know he has uh, people that manage the day-to-day or week-to-week communications and stuff because he's pulled in, uh, I'm going to guess, 100 different directions. Well, he's a great role model because I don't think that exists in most other places in the country. Um, and if it does, it's not visible. I think from my conversation with some priests who, like him, are very supportive they're also very aware of their bishop and their bishop's view about supporting LGBT people and being visible and out about that. And so it, it puts one in a, in a tough position, uh, career-wise, job-wise, um, to, to do that. So, I, I, I mean, I admire the guy for, for stepping out, and I think it's, it's really unusual that that's happening without criticism from above. What's your sense about the rest of the congregation at St. Matthew's? How do they feel about having such a visible pro-LGBT group in the parish? So the the several folks that I spoke with, um, and then also the feedback I've gotten from Father Joe and then the lead leadership team, uh, it's been mixed, but it's definitely toward the support as opposed to the against. Uh, there are several stories where, uh, for example, they printed some pamphlets or some brochures or paperwork or something like that that was going to be handed out after a mass. And then suddenly those go missing. Well, it's most likely an angry parishioner that isn't you know, a true supporter of what they're doing or the message that they have. But um, you know, do I know who that was? No. Has it happened on occasion? Um, what I was told, yes. So is it 100% in you know, all the parishioners? No, they're not. Um, is the majority? I'd say yes, they are. Um, and in looking at other lists, I mean, I went through just dozens of different states just calling up Catholic churches who say they're welcoming of LGBT and you can put that in print, or you can announce that, but have they really gone to every single parishioner and said, do you support yes, do you support yes, do you support yes? I mean, they haven't done that. And in, in doing that diligence of um, kind of that research, I found that some would say, yeah, we're welcoming, but we're not 100% supported by everybody mm-hmm. there. Well, that's pretty consistent with you know some yeah. recent national surveys. But the vast majority of Catholics do believe the church to be more welcoming and inclusive of LGBT people. You know, that's been, that's been shown by a number of surveys. The most recent, I think, was done by uh, Pew that talked about, you know, 70 or 80 percent of 
Catholics, practicing Catholics, wanting the church to support LGBT folks. And that is clearly not the opinion of Catholic leadership. I think the quote is, it's intrinsically immoral and contrary to natural law to engage in homosexual acts. But it's not sinful to actually be homosexual. So you've got these official teachings from the church that, that dictate this, but then you've got you know, all this trickle-down, trickle-down to the Baltimore community who may interpret that and say, okay, yeah, but we're still going to be welcoming, and yeah, I understand you're in a civil union and or you're living together, you're married, whatever the case may be for the individuals involved. So there is, uh, there is definitely a disparity from, from the top all the way down to the bottom, I believe. Right. Well, and it seems like the, the fracture is growing. Like there's two camps. That you've got the cardinals and the bishop and I still think the pope who have a very strong feeling on one side that mm-hmm. is not inclusive of LGBT people, not welcoming. And then at the parish level, some priests that are beginning to emerge that are saying, wait a second. And clearly the, the folks who attend, the, the parishioners who attend are saying, no, we want the church to be inclusive, at least here in the U.S. Sure. You know, and so there is this there is this divide that's happening. Do you think that it's growing and it will continue to grow? Which part growing? The divide or the people? I, I guess. I guess. Do you think you're going to see? Do you think that there are going to be more priests like Father Joe who are going to emerge and step out and say we want to be welcoming and inclusive of LGBT people, despite what the cardinals and the bishops and the popes say? I would think so. I would think so. I think there's just, I think there becomes a sort of a a pressure from the community itself that says, hey, we're Catholics, we're, uh, we're supposed to be welcoming, we're supposed to have this family, we're supposed to be inclusive. Uh, and I think people are just going to say, you know what, so what, they're homosexual, we get it. I mean, it's just not becoming... It's not taboo anymore. It's not, you know, a great issue for, I think, for the, oh, the layperson, just the average parishioner. Um, I I attended some masses where Father Joe actually talked about LGBT during the homily, and I look at people's faces and I don't see eyes rolling. I don't see disgust. It's just okay. They're they're people. They're just their sexual orientation is different than mine, and and so be it. So. Um, I think that the that what, what I'm really curious about is that relationship between the priest and pastoral level, and then the next level above, like the bishop and archbishop. How do those relationships either become strengthened or weakened because of acceptance of LGBT? And is it just them being politicians? Is it them being um, you know, managers of the situation and walking the fine line and dabbling with the LGBT inclusion or not. And and it's like, how do they manage that situation? And then does that continually trickle upwards? If if that's were possible is that, does that actually spread upwards into um, the hierarchical organization of the Catholic church? Mm -hmm. And so where does that, where does that power struggle actually start to, bend? Does it actually start to go upwards and um, and change the perspective, or does it get squashed by the higher-ups? And I think there's a case for both. The fact that there are more people being accepted, there are more churches coming out and saying, we are welcoming, you know, that's a plus for the homosexual community. But then there are plenty of cases, um, I was looking over a blog where it's how many people are being fired from religious type organizations or being let go uh, because they are homosexuals and that's coming down from a higher order. So it's just what's going to bend, what's going to break and and what's going to be put in place that time will tell. Um, But I mean, it's an interesting struggle to, to see how it plays out and I'm in agreement, agreement with you. It seems like the higher ups are definitely, coming across as um, in the opposition right now. Right. So what's your hope for the documentary, and who do you hope looks at it? In all honesty, I, 
I feel like this documentary should just be a platform for discussion like we're doing right now. Um, these are personal stories and I, I just want their voices to be heard. Um, and if that's through the radio, if that's through online, if that's through a screening, um, it's all, it's all wonderful. Um, I think that it, it gives a platform for discussion, for community. Um, I mean, of course, some of the discussion is going to be positive. Some is going to be negative. Um, but I think in, in seeing that those kind of emotions arise, it probably means they're doing something right. Great. Well, hopefully our local bishop here in Santa Rosa, who is not supportive at all, will take a look at it and perhaps be inspired. Where can people go to view it on their own? Right now it's on my website, which is erickkrzewski.com, E-R-I-C-K-R-U-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I.com, and it's called The Lost Flock. And then shortly the lead ministry, which is um, lgbtleadministry.org, um, they'll be putting it uh, putting it up there. Well, if you miss those links, we'll have them on our own website at outbeatnews.com. If you just click on show notes at the top of the page, you'll find a link to tonight's show, and you'll find all the links to view Eric's documentary. We've been talking with Eric Krushevsky, who is a documentary filmmaker. Eric, thanks for being with us tonight. Hey, you're very welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My thanks to all of our amazing guests tonight. Don't forget to get your tickets for Private Lives, Private Lives, the new play written and directed by Outbeat Radio's own Diana Grayer. You can get tickets at brownpapertickets.com. Just search for Private Lives, Private Lies. And if you're a senior member of the LGBT community and would like to share your story with our listeners, give us a call and leave a message at 707-584-2006. That's 584-2006, and you can learn more. Tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News In Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.